is Tactical Tip Tuesday, in which I share a tip, tool, or dose of inspiration for your week. I recently shared a quote that I ran across on social media. Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards, and it's credited to Soren Kierkegaard. I think today's episode captures the essence of this quote. I reflect back on my experiences in my life, both personally and professionally, and my realization that the concepts of wellness, peer support, and leadership are so closely intertwined that it's difficult for me to unsee this connection. If you're a regular listener of the show, you already know the purpose of the podcast is to provide a platform for first responders and their families that offers resources, support, and inspiration in all areas of wellness physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and social. By speaking with those on the front lines, family members, or those working alongside first responders, such as nonprofit program directors, therapists, and researchers, or sharing lessons on the solo cast such as this, my hope is for the show to be a catalyst, a ripple, whether it be for you, the listener, or for someone that you know. The purpose is to serve. Today's solo cast begins with a story, a pivotal moment, a wake-up call to the way that I was going through my life, a moment I can trace back as a catalyst for the change that was yet to come. It was in 2016, and I was seated in one of our old academy classrooms, which used to be an elementary school. I felt like I was back in fourth grade in the school that I attended in Rockaway, New Jersey. In a way, it was comforting. The speaker, who ended up being a mentor and now good friend, was discussing secondary trauma and how the work that we do as cops can impact us. He openly discussed his struggles, his anger, and the toll that it took on his family. I had never heard anyone talk about this before, and the visceral feeling that I had was overwhelming. My heart raced, my muscles tensed, my stomach hurt. I felt shaky, and I thought I might cry or puke. From that day forward, everything changed. I didn't know it then, but my path shifted. Reflecting back, I now know that it was probably unfolding for quite a while. Throughout my career, I can never imagine doing anything else but be a detective. Investigating the worst of the worst. Homicide, sex crimes, and gang cases. There was no other job for me. The work was challenging, even grueling at times, but it was so rewarding. Callouts, lack of sleep, interrupted family time, and poor physical and mental health were just part of the territory, and I didn't know any better. Today, seven years later, my life looks very different. I am different. Since I retired nearly five years ago, I've dedicated myself to not just my own healing and well-being, but to educating, supporting, and advocating for my peers and all first responders, both at my full-time job as the health and wellness manager at the Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office, and with my outside creative endeavors, such as this podcast. As I started down the path of helping to create, build, and implement a wellness program for first responders at the agency that I now work with, I made an unexpected discovery, which is the topic of today's solo cast. The realization that the concepts of wellness and leadership overlap, intersect, go hand in hand, are two sides of the same coin. I now find it difficult to discuss one without the other. This lesson is courtesy of my peers. I'm in constant awe at the caring, the bravery, and vulnerability they exhibit, a mark of true leadership. When I initially began my wellness job, years of research led me to create a model 
for what I found to be key components in a holistic wellness program. This is all based in research of other agencies and talking with those that have already been doing this work. We started with peer support. This wasn't random and it was based on some of what I already knew. We already do peer support with each other informally and the research supported this. Although reluctance still exists to ask for help, peer support came out on top as not just what was utilized by cops and other first responders, but what was found to be the most effective. Our nature as human beings is to connect and support. Our physiology even tells us this. When we're stressed, one of the hormones released into the bloodstream is called oxytocin. Research tells us that in times of high stress, oxytocin prompts us to seek support. When we launched our peer support program, asking cops and other first responders, many of who fall into the quote, old school category to be vulnerable, deal with their own demons, see a therapist once a year for a well check and support other agency members was no easy ask. In fact, it was terrifying. I remember that day in 2016, how I felt when someone first talked to me about these things. Now others were being asked to do the same, but they stepped up. They embraced the discomfort and the unknown. This might sound kind of dramatic, but the week-long training that we host for our new peer support team members has been referred to as life-changing. It is one of the best trainings that I have ever been to in my 25-year law enforcement career. It requires grit and courage for those who fully commit to the process as you are faced with your own experiences, traumas, stressors, and experiences. For many of us, these have been buried deep and excavating them is no easy task. A year after that moment in the classroom in 2016, I sat through this training for the first time. I only have flashes of memory of what was taught that week. For me, Years of unresolved emotions and trauma were beginning to surface, plus the betrayal and moral injury that I was experiencing at the time at my agency was beginning to rear its ugly head. Over-functioning and keeping busy were my MO, my way of coping or avoiding, but that week I had nowhere to hide. This was another moment where the ripples were created and I began to respond. At that time, part of my self-care was yoga which looked very much like my typical over-functioning type A personality, hot power yoga five days a week. But then I began to change and shift and add in more self-reflective and contemplative practices. I went to therapy. I talked to my husband more and it took years to unravel. And I am still doing the work every single day. I know how incredibly hard it can be. When we selected our first group of peer support team members in January of 2021, I had no idea what to expect. By this time, I'd been fully immersed in this work and knew the value and impact that it could have, but I was very concerned about how it would be received. I will never forget that week. It was such an honor to be part of this training. Each group of new peer support team members is special, but this one was different. They were the first. They all took a leap of faith, didn't really know what they were getting themselves into, and knocked it out of the park. A true act of leadership and bravery. I recently read an article from Forbes magazine called The ROI of Caring Leadership. It discussed what many of us already know. Creating a culture of caring and connection made for more productive and cohesive teams. 
There was another study that was done by Workforce UKG in which 3,400 employees, not first responders, were surveyed from over 10 countries. And I've been using this research quite a bit when I teach various groups. This study found that 60% of employees worldwide said that their job is the biggest factor influencing their mental health and that their managers or frontline supervisors have just as much of an impact on their mental health as their spouse, which was 69%, more than their doctor, 51%, or therapist, 41%. 81% of employees worldwide said that they would prioritize good mental health over a high-paying job. 64% said that they'd take a pay cut for a job that better supports their mental wellness. The Forbes article goes as far to say that caring is the number one leadership skill in the new era, and it has a huge return on investment. Before I continue, I just want to pause for a moment and take that in. Caring is the number one leadership skill in the new era. For the naysayers out there, I want to be clear. Caring does not mean not holding people accountable, and it does not mean coddling them. Saying exactly what you think while still giving a crap is the duality of something called radical candor, an essential skill for any leader. This isn't always innate or intuitive for leaders, though. In fact, most managers surveyed felt ill-equipped to handle the mental and emotional needs of their employees. While many reported feeling compassion for those experiencing high levels of burnout or other mental health issues impacting performance, they didn't know what to do about it. Not to mention that many managers are experiencing their own issues. I can't help but connect the dots to these findings on leadership with what we do in peer support. We create a safe and caring environment for our peers. We aren't trained therapists, but we're skilled at listening, at empathy, which is a major component of emotional intelligence, and available resources. Both Simon Sinek and John Maxwell, well-known and respected experts in the leadership space, acknowledge the relationship between leadership and influence. To say those original members of our peer support team had a positive influence on others is an understatement. They took that first brave step to help themselves so they could be better prepared to help their peers and unknowingly helped nudge a cultural shift. They listened, they cared, and it's because of them that others decided to join our team in the years that followed. I often wonder what a difference it could make for all first responders to receive this type of training, regardless of if they actually want to be on the peer support team. We are in a knowledge economy, and I have noticed that great leaders are learners. I used to view work training as something completely separate than the training that I sought outside of work, like yoga and health coaching, or resources of therapy, coaching, retreats, nature, reading, journaling, and my yoga and meditation practice. But I've come to realize that there isn't a distinction between personal and professional development. And the integration of the skills that I've acquired has absolutely impacted the person that I am today and the work that I do. Leadership is learning and learning high performance skills and habits developed either personally or professionally are going to complement one another. How can they not? Your psychology governs your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And if you learn, build, and master these competencies, they're going to seep into all areas of your life. These skills can be acquired in many ways, and all of us have various paths. I know those who have acquired those skills through therapy, martial arts, fitness, coaching, peer support training, yoga, 
spiritual practice, college courses, higher education, self-inquiry, reading, and more. In the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, A New Paradigm for Sustainable Success, they distill the idea of conscious leadership down to a line, and I really appreciate the simplicity of this concept. At any time, we are either above the line or below it. Leading from above the line looks like growth mindset, being open, curious, and committed to learning. Leading from below the line looks like fixed mindset, being defensive and having to be right. Even the greatest leaders fall below the line. We are all human after all. The key is having the awareness to know when we fall below the line, take responsibility, and then we do something about it. As I connect the dots, I no longer see wellness, peer support, and leadership as separate or distinct entities. Here's what I've learned. Number one, leadership is about influencing, guiding, supporting, and caring for others, whether it be at home, with our families, or at work. One of the most treasured byproducts of my realization has been with my family. My husband and I started our family later than most due to our careers. Some days I see why people have kids younger, but most of the time I'm very grateful to be an older, wiser parent. Listening, recognizing, and admitting when I fall below the line and being present have all helped me be a better mother and wife. If you ask my family, they're going to tell you that I fall far from being perfect and frequently fall below the line. But most of the time I operate from a place of care. I'm trying to be open to other perspectives, which can be really challenging, by the way, with two teenage daughters. Number two, leadership means caring for ourselves as part of caring for others. Remember the old adage, you can't pour from an empty cup. Do the things that you love. Nourish your body with good food. Surround yourself with uplifting people and have fun. As leaders at home and at work, we must be authentic and practice what we preach. I didn't always do this, but I take time to prioritize my well-being and growth. Plus, I want my daughters to learn early on that it's absolutely okay to take care of yourself and to prioritize your needs, not just the needs of others. Number three, leadership and wellness training should begin day one and should be ongoing at our respective organizations. For first responder agencies, this could look like the academy for others during the onboarding process. And by training, I don't just mean one and done. It must be incremental throughout the career span, ongoing, and should consist of leadership development. As I reflect back on my police career, I never had aspirations of becoming a supervisor. I was what people refer to as the now dying breed of career detective. Leadership training was never offered to me or my colleagues unless you became a supervisor. And even then it was inconsistent and those selected were handpicked. Often the necessary soft skills of leadership I've referred to already, like emotional intelligence, listening, cognitive flexibility, providing constructive feedback or radical candor, coaching, and more aren't introduced until much later into someone's career when they get promoted and behavior change is more challenging. Some of these softer skills are introduced during peer support training and some of the wellness training provided to our new recruits. Number four, leadership and wellness are your personal responsibility. I am all about organizations stepping up to implement programs and resources for their employees. It's what I've devoted the last five years to. But if your agency or workplace doesn't have the resources in place, 
then you must do this for yourself and you must take ownership. Bottom line, no one can do the work but you. And finally, number five, it starts with purpose. Finding meaning in our lives has been a quest that many of us have been on throughout our lives, whether we realize it or not. I first became interested in this concept of purpose during my yoga training. This ancient tradition refers to purpose as dharma, and this means that each one of us are unique. We're put on this earth for some particular work, and the desire for the work has been put into every one of our hearts. It's our duty to discover it. Simon Sinek's famous TED Talk from 2009 titled How Great Leaders Inspire Action distills it down to why. Referring to a company or agency, knowing why they do what they do before anything else. I believe it's essential to examine our purpose, not just in our roles at work, but personally. We all leave our jobs at some point, some sooner than planned. Purpose is how we find meaning, but the way or how we do that can change. I've experienced firsthand the angst and the struggle of feeling lost without purpose because I was wrapped up in what I did or my identity as a police officer and not necessarily why. It actually swallowed me up until I re-examined my purpose. I have many friends and colleagues who have also been challenged with this. If we are proactive through personal and professional development, the transition from our roles at work can be smooth and enjoyable as it should be. In the book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, the author worked with patients preparing to die in hospice care. She identified five common themes when she asked them about what they would do differently or any regrets that they had. The most common was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. In other words, a purpose-driven life true to what they wanted. A lot has happened since that day in the classroom in 2016 for me. Heartache, betrayal, happiness, challenge, growth, disappointment, empowerment, new friendships, retirement, a new job, struggle, and contentment. I am grateful for it all. Maya Angelou said, people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget the way that you made them feel. My belief is peer support well-being, and caring leadership are crucial for the future of our professions. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you found some value in this episode. If you did, I ask that you subscribe to the podcast and upcoming newsletter, write a review, and remember, we are better together.